Amen. So yeah, my name is Scott, and I'm the lead pastor here and a part-time singer uh, here at the bridge. Uh, that was my debut. Maybe they'll give me a part. Uh, but uh, we'll be here all week. Uh, make sure you get your tickets. Um, no, hey, it's a great day. I'm so glad you guys are here today for Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to you. Uh, we really try to design the day uh, with guys in mind. And uh, so hopefully that's been uh, the case for you and you've had a good time. And I think you'll continue to have a good time today together. You know, you think about it, um, if you were sitting on a bar stool in a barbecue joint, uh, what things would you be singing about? Right? I mean, if you could potentially go back and, you know, redo some things, what things might you get back in your life? Get your house back, get your dog back, best friend Jack back, your farm in the barn, and the boat in the Harley, first night in jail with Charlie. I mean, what things would you possibly get back if you could go back and some of the maybe worst moments or seasons of your life, maybe you get a redo on some of those. What things could you get back in your life? Have you ever, have you ever made choices or gone through a season of your life where, man, you just wish you could get a do-over? I mean, you know, in golf, we like getting mulligans, right? We get to hit over, hit another shot. Well, you have any stages or parts of your life where, man, it would be great just to get a do-over, just a mulligan in that area because that time was just not the best. And some of the choices or decisions we made, man, it was just not the best. You know, what I've, I've discovered, I just, all of us have been there. We've all made those choices. We've all, uh, we've all experienced those times, those moments, those seasons in our life. And what I've really discovered is that it's not the... It's not the loss of the, you know, the farm and the barn and the boat and the Harley that really keep us awake at night. It's the loss of things that are more significant than that. You know, it's the, it's the broken trust in the relationships we have with our loved ones. It's the, the damaged relationships because of the hurtful choices that we've made, right? It's the marriage that seems irreconcilable. It's the kids that really don't want to have anything to do with us anymore. It's decisions that impact the people that are closest to us, the ones that we love the most. Those are the ones that really keep us awake at night. Those are the ones that really fill our hearts with regret and remorse. And it's those kind of decisions that, that really cause us as guys, especially to ask the question that guys have been asking since the dawn of time. And it's this question, how did I get here? Right? How did I get here? Where did things go wrong? How did I wind up in this place? And we ask that question over and over. How did I get it? What, what, what happened? Where did I take a wrong turn? And our hearts are, are, are filled with this regret and remorse because of where we find ourselves today. And maybe we've made decisions that we feel like, I'm just a colossal failure. But here's what I've discovered as well, and it's kind of the bottom line of today, is that 
Colossal failures really happen one step at a time. It's a rarity that someone makes a decision and it ruins their life forever just with that decision. It's typically, if we're honest and we take an honest assessment of where we are, you know, we're asking the question, how did I get here? If we really look at it honestly, we will see a pattern of decisions that we had made all along the way that led us to this place where maybe we crossed a line that we said we would never cross. It rarely just happens all at once. It's usually one step at a time along the way. And something about us as guys, and this is something I really think, and this is part of the problem, is that most men don't ever plan to screw up their lives. Most men don't plan to mess up their lives. They just don't plan not to. Right? And most of us guys, we never plan to mess up anything. We just haven't planned not to. Like, I don't know of a guy, never met a guy who looks at me and says, you know, when I was younger, I, I, I looked and I thought, by the time I'm 40, my hope and my goal is to be in such extreme debt that I'm just broke. I mean, I have to declare bankruptcy and everything. I mean, embarrassingly broke. That's my goal. That's a long range plan for my life. No guy ever says that, right? We don't make that plan, but we don't plan not to. And so along the way, you know, hey, there's a car I need, there's a house I need, need some new golf clubs, need a computer, multi-level marketing scheme I'll get involved in. I'm going to start a business, even though I really don't know how to balance my checkbook, but I'm going to start a business. You know, so it's all of these decisions along the way that led us to this place. We didn't plan to get there. We just didn't plan not to get there. I don't know of a guy who would say, you know, my long-term goal in life is that I would father some children and at some point they would just despise me and no longer want to have a relationship with me. That's really what I'm hoping to do. That's my plan. No guy ever feels that way or says that, that those kinds of things, right? But you don't plan not to. And so you have this honest thing inside of you, this drive to want to succeed. And that's a God-given drive, a drive to want to see an honest drive to want to provide for your family. Those two things go together and you're working hard trying to do those things. And one promotion leads to another promotion, another promotion, and things are great. They're wonderful. But those promotions lead to extra responsibilities requiring more of your time and attention. And pretty soon the people at the office are seeing you a little bit more than the people in your home. And you look and say, hey, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. And you rationalize it by saying, I'm trying to provide the best for my family. And yet your family is getting worse and worse. And at some point, your kids move away and they rarely are in contact with you because they felt like the relationship you had with your career superseded the relationship you had with them. You didn't plan to be there. You just didn't plan not to be there. I've never met a guy that says, you know what? I've got a great marriage. I've got a great family. My kids love me. They even like me. I got a great home. Everything's going wonderfully in my life. And so I really just want to mess it up with an affair. No guy ever says that. No guy plans to do that. But we don't plan not to. And so you notice a lady, maybe at the office or wherever, and she looks nice. And you notice that she notices you. 
and she compliments you and you say something flattering to her and flirt here, flirt there, here, flirt, there, flirt, everywhere, flirt, flirt. And pretty soon you're texting and maybe a casual touch and you're moving down the road that you never planned to, to go down. You just didn't plan not to go down that road. And one step at a time, we move in a direction of a life that's just filled with regret and remorse. And so I wanna talk about that today. I wanna talk about this process. I wanna talk about some of the steps that as guys, and I feel like as guys, we, we, we get caught up in this a good bit. And the apostle Paul in the New Testament, he writes uh, in the book of Galatians, he, he uses a, and we'll show it to you in a moment in Galatians chapter six, but he uses an agricultural analogy to really describe this process of steps that we take toward this, this life of regret and remorse. And here's what he says in Galatians chapter six, starting in verse seven, he says this, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. Now, you might sit there and go, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Scott. Hey, listen, nobody's talking about mocking God. Okay, I'm not, I don't live up to be the man that I need to be all the time, but mocking God, that's a different story altogether. We're not talking about mocking God. Well, maybe, maybe not. You see, when you look at the fact that mocking God really can be defined this way, mocking God is basically saying, God, I know better than you. God, I know that you say this and you, you know, in the Bible it says this and I get all that, but I know better than you. I know how to live my life better. I know how to make decisions better. Thanks for the input, but I don't need it. I know better. In that way, we're mocking God. We are deceiving ourselves and we can actually deceive ourselves into thinking that we can mock God and get away with it. But everything's gonna be okay. And how this happens is along the way, we just make little steps, small steps, innocuous steps, and they're not necessarily wrong, but they're probably unwise because they're moving us in a direction. And we sit back and go, well, there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm, I'm, you know, everything I'm doing legit, you know, but you know that it's moving you in a direction. And over time, you take little step after little step after little step that really wasn't wrong. It's was just kind of innocuous. It's no big deal. And all of a sudden, you're over here and you eventually cross a line that you swore you would never, ever cross. But see, by the time you got to that line, you had taken so many little steps along the way that it no longer was this big, huge leap. It was just another step. And what you told yourself is that even though you knew it was wrong, see still deep down in your heart, you knew when I'm crossing this line, this is not right. But what you told yourself is, but there won't be any consequences. I mean, I've gotten away with things before, I'll get away with this. It's not, it may be wrong, but I'll work it out. I can get by, I can get out of it. And so we deceive ourselves in the thinking that all of these things would just keep sailing on smoothly. And we fail to realize that the path we're on is a well-worn path. We're not the first people to be on it. We won't be the last. It is well-worn with people that had the same mindset, taking all the same steps, and they find themselves in a place of regret 
and remorse. I'm going to give you three steps that you take toward regret, toward remorse. The first steps are careless steps, careless steps. And they're characterized by the attitude and mindset. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. These are just careless steps. They're not necessarily wrong. They're just careless. They're not very wise. And you keep saying, it's not a big deal. It's cool. I got this. No problem. And we keep taking step after step that's just careless. For instance, you know, you're in here as a guy and you say, I really want to not only honor God, but I want to honor my spouse, or, or if you're not married, my future spouse, by being sexually pure, by, by doing the things that God wants me to do sexually, being that kind of guy. And so I want to honor God. I want to honor my spouse or future spouse. And so I'm going to kind of set myself apart, be different than the world. And things are going along. Maybe you're a single guy and you start dating a girl and you say, hey, won't you just spend the night? We're not sleeping together. We're just sleeping under the same roof, but we'll be sleeping. It's no big deal. And maybe you just sleep, maybe you don't. But for sure, you've put yourself in a position to make you more vulnerable. Maybe it wasn't wrong, but it sure wasn't wise. When my, my two sons were out here leading the ax throwing a while ago, I almost lost one of them in the ax throwing. Uh, but uh, when they were growing up and dating and I, I, I told them, both of them, I said, here are the three rules I have for you in dating. I don't want you to go into a girl's house when there are no parents there. I don't want you to go into a room and close the door with your girlfriend. Parents there or not. And I don't want you laying around with your girlfriend. Now, you listen to those things and you go, man, that's old fashioned. It's the 21st century. But you know what I understand? I understand that those are little steps. There's nothing wrong with any of them. And you could easily say it's no big deal. We were just in the house waiting on our parents to get, it's no big deal. We went into the room. We were in there playing PlayStation with the door closed because it was too noisy. It's no big deal. We were just laying on, we were watching TV. We were just laying down beside each other. It's no big deal. And all of those things seem like they're no big deal. Nothing wrong with them. But they're not wise because every little step, this is what I would tell them. Every little step you take gets you closer and closer to a line that you've said you don't want to cross. And today you sit way back over here, away from that line and go, I'm never going to cross that line. I, I want to honor God. I want to honor my future spouse. I'm never going to cross that line because it's way, way, way over there. It's a huge leap until you get closer and closer and closer. And pretty soon the line's right next to you. And now hormones have taken over and the line gets real blurry at that point. It's just not wise, right? You're a married guy. You go out, on town, out of town on a business trip. Everybody's getting together after work for drinks. And, you know, you want to be there at a part of it. You want to, you know, socialize with everybody, get to know the people on your team better. Nothing wrong with any of that. 
go out, have one or two drinks. Nothing wrong with that. Hanging out with them. But there's women everywhere. And you decide, I'll just hang out a little longer. Just going to socialize a little longer. Nothing wrong. No big deal, right? But it's not wise. It's not wise because all you're doing is putting yourself closer and closer to a place where you're vulnerable, to crossing a line that you said you wouldn't cross. And all along the way, you're saying it's no big deal. These are careless steps. The Apostle Paul also writes in another book in the New Testament, the book of Ephesians, he says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, not as careless, not as, you know, characterized by the mindset, it's no big deal, I'll do what I want to do. Not as unwise, but as wise, with eyes wide open, with intentionality in your life. I'm going to live as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. He's saying, listen, redeem the time that you have. There are evil days around you with people with evil intentions around you. You cannot afford to live carelessly. You cannot afford to take careless steps. You cannot afford to have the mindset, it's no big deal. You must live with intentionality. You must have a plan. It's not enough to not plan to do something. You must plan to not do something. You must have that intentionality about your life and not deceive yourself into thinking, that's no big deal. He keeps going. Verse 17, he says, therefore, in other words, this is what I'm, I'm, all the stuff that I wrote before. Now, therefore, because of all that, do not be foolish. Do not live carelessly, but understand what the Lord's will is. He does something here grammatically that really is something I don't even know that you can really do. He commands all of us to understand. How can you command somebody to understand? Understand right now. Go do it. Understand. <laughs> you can't, I mean, you can command somebody to study up on something or to learn about something or to go over some possible scenarios and outcomes and things like that and maybe gain some understanding. But how do you command somebody to understand? And what he's doing here is a really pretty big idea. He's saying, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to own up to, to embrace, to accept what God's will is for your life. I'm asking you to own it, not haphazardly, carelessly walk around in the middle of it. I'm wanting you to own it and embrace it and accept what his will is for your life, for your marriage, for your dating relationships, for your finances, for your career, for your business, for your morality, for your ethics. I'm wanting you to own it, embrace it, accept it. Don't deceive yourself. Because you know exactly where these steps are going. You can't sit back and go, oh, I didn't know. Skip to the I mean, you know, you can't do that. He says, I want you to own this thing. You know exactly where it's leading. You know where those steps are taking you financially. You know where those steps are taking you relationally. You know what that stuff's doing to your body. You know what that's doing to your marriage. Don't deceive yourself into thinking, ah, it's no big deal. He says, I want you to own it. I want you to accept and embrace God's desire for your life and the, and the life that he not only created you to live, but 
longs for you to live. It's the best life you could ever experience. Own it, embrace it, plan for it. Don't be careless. So those careless steps eventually lead to the second set of steps and that's arrogant steps. And arrogant steps, we say, I know what I'm doing. I got this under control. I know what I'm doing. Those are arrogant steps. And we use that, guys, primarily when we're trying to rationalize our behavior. Don't question me. I know what I'm doing. The only reason you're wondering about that is because this is, but you don't know. I'm over here. I know what I'm doing. I got this. Just trust me. I know what I'm doing. But everybody around you is watching you take steps in the wrong direction, and we're having a hard time trusting you. I know what I'm doing. We use that to rationalize our behavior. And we're following, like I said a moment ago, a well-worn path. And, and other people are sitting there looking at you going, okay, am I the only one that sees this? Can you see what it, I mean, We all see this. So you can say, you know what you're doing all the time. Those are just arrogant steps. And they're leading you in a place to eventually take the third steps. And those are costly steps. Those are the steps that lead you to eventually say, how did I get here? These arrogant steps along the way, starting off carelessly, innocuous, not wrong, but not wise, leading to arrogant steps going, I can come as close to the edge as possible. And that's kind of what the question is that we ask, right? How far can I go? How much is too much? How close to the edge can I get? It's like if I were up here and I just continue to speak, from the edge of the stage and I just walk along and I'm speaking right here from the edge. Maybe I fall off this thing, maybe I don't. Now right now, some of you think about getting your phone out and record, that something's gonna happen, you just record. We're gonna post this later. <laughs> maybe I trip, maybe I fall, maybe I don't. But I tell you this, the longer I stay on the edge of this thing, the greater my chance of falling becomes. You understand that physically, you understand that with me being on the stage, but we do that relationally, emotionally, financially, ethically, morally, all the time. How close to the edge, can I dance along the edge? Those are arrogant steps that lead to costly steps because we wanna live our life the way we want. We wanna do what we want. And eventually we ask, how did I get here? How did I mess this up? It's because we took careless steps that led to arrogant steps that eventually we crossed the line that we swore we'd never cross. Don't deceive yourself and mock God. When I sit back and say, yeah, God, I know what you're saying about that, but you know, it's the 21st century. And God, I know, you know, like you're God, I get it. You're God, but I'm Scott. And I'm pretty smart. I'm pretty slick. I know you created the heavens and the earth. You called the sun to rise and east, sun to set in the west. I get all that. But I'm pretty smart too. And I know best how to live my life. God says, don't be deceived. You can't mock 
who I am and what I've put in place. And he goes on and continues the verse in verse seven. Here's what he says. A man reaps what he sows. This is where he gets to the agricultural analogy. He says, it's the law of the harvest. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. It's not going to be different than you sow. It's going to be the same. There's a direct correlation. You're sowing a certain thing, you're going to reap that very same thing. It's not going to come out all roses when you're not sowing roses. And we're reaping and sowing all of the time. We're constantly sowing things into life and we're constantly reaping. In every area of our life, every facet of our life, every decision, every relationship, whether we know it or not, it doesn't matter if we're ignorant of what's going on or I didn't know the decision was leading in that direction. You know, in the court of law, ignorance is no excuse or no defense breaking the law. See, ignorance doesn't work in the court of law. It doesn't work in the system that God set up either. I didn't know this was going to be addictive. I didn't know it was going to hurt my marriage. I didn't know. Okay, well, just because you didn't know doesn't mean it didn't happen. Still happens. And it doesn't really matter what stage or of life you are in your spiritual life either. I mean, so often, and so many of you are, are new Christ followers. You've recently given your life to Christ. And in Christ, you've found a brand new life. And so often when I talk to people that have just recently given their life to Christ, yet they had they'd sowed some really bad decisions in their life prior to coming to Christ, your mindset is, God has forgiven me of my sins and he's erased all the consequences. And Jesus promises to forgive you of your sins. He promises to no longer allow your sin in the past to be a, a detriment to the relationship you have with him today. It's no longer gonna be something that keeps you from having a relationship. He promises those things, but he never ever promises to remove the consequences for the decisions that we make. And so there may be consequences that you pay for things that you sowed a long time ago. That's just part of that system that's always at work. What we sow, we will reap. And right now you may be reaping certain things in your life, good or bad. And if you trace it back, it's because of certain things that you were sowing at some point in your life in the past. And you are sowing things today that at some point in the future you will reap. It's constantly at work. Whatever a person sows, they will also reap. So he goes on to the next verse and he gives us two options of the way we can live our life. And I really think he writes this to give us hope. Because there may be some of you in here today that you really want a, a new life. You really want to live differently. And so Paul, understanding that, he's like, I'm going to give you the way to do that. There's two options that you can go with. And listen, the way you got into the place where you're in, the, the way you've, you know, sowed and now you're reaping these bad consequences, the way you got in is the same way you get out. It's by what you sow and what you reap. And he gives two options. 
And here's what he says in verse eight. Here's the first option. He says, whoever sows to please their sinful nature. In other words, when he says, talking about the sinful nature, it's whatever I want, whatever I feel like is going to make me happy, whatever I feel like is going to satisfy me. I'm looking out for me, looking out for number one. I really don't care what God says. I really don't care what anybody else says. Whatever I want in my life, that's what I'm going to do. And I will do whatever it takes to make me happy. That's sowing into your sinful nature. He says, whoever sows into their sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. Will reap, another word there is erosion. In other words, the quality of your life, quality of your relationships, they will erode and eventually cause destruction. You see, some of you know that and some of you have experienced it in different areas of your life. You understand that some of you in your conscience, you think about it. You kept making these little small steps along the way and you got to some of those steps where it's like, man, this is probably not right. And you kind of debated, do I want to do this? Do I not? And your conscience was firing off, ding, 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 turn, go back, go back, you know, go around, don't go. And you're like, hey, yeah, I hear that, I hear that. I'm just going to go that way anyway. And it stung at first. But then you took another step and another step. And as you continue to move in that direction, your conscience really wasn't firing off that much anymore, right? The sting really wasn't there that much anymore. And now decisions that you're making that at one point would have really, really bothered you. Now they barely phase you because along the way, your conscience was just being eroded. And pretty soon you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you don't like the person you see because with each step you were taking, your self-esteem was being eroded. Your marriage, you no longer feel like your marriage is a, you feel like there's intimacy with you and your spouse. You feel like it's just almost dead and you look back and I promise you if you're honest and you do an honest assessment, you will see that along the way you are taking steps. You are making decisions to not share your love. You are making decisions to hold back, look out for you and not care about the needs of your spouse. Well, she wasn't meeting my needs. Yeah, okay. But you have to own your part in that. And the more you did that along the way, it just eroded, eroded, eroded each step. The level of intimacy you feel in your marriage to the place where today you wonder if it'll even survive. See, that's what happens when we sow into that sinful nature of I want what I want. It erodes and we reap destruction and death. That's option one. Sounds appealing, doesn't it? And see, it may be that the reason you're here today is because you've traveled far enough down that road and you're really hoping that there's something different. You're really hoping that there's something better in life because you're tired of living that way. And so you came. It may be that God brought you here today just so that you could hear about a warning 
that if you keep going down this road, keep making those decisions, it's leading to a place of erosion and destruction. But he gives a second choice, second option. And behind door number two is better. Okay, I can promise you. Here's what he says. But whoever sows to please the Spirit, whoever sows to please God's Spirit, what is that all about? It means you approach God and you say, yes. Now, what's the question? I'm going to take the attitude, I don't care what you ask me to do. I don't care what you ask me to think about or where you ask me to go. The answer is yes. And then you fill me in on the details. I just want to let you know the answer is yes. I want to be open to your guidance in my life. I want to be open to your spirit's warnings. When those warning signals go off, that I don't ignore those, that I listen to those, and I turn and go a different direction. I want to be open to being guided by your word, the scripture, even when I don't want to hear it, or even when I have a tendency to want to disagree with it. I want to be willing to be obedient to what you ask me to do. God, in my family, in my marriage, in my finances, in my relationships, in my business, my answer is yes. Now fill me in on the details. See, that's sowing into the spirit. And whoever does that reaps life, but not just life. You reap eternal life. And you got to understand, eternal life is not just heaven someday when you die. That's what we, as, as Christ followers, we associate eternal life too often as heaven when you die. And Paul's not just talking about that. He's talking about a quality of life that you experience on this earth. Yeah, heaven someday when you die, but there's a quality of life that you get to experience where Jesus talks about, I've come to give you life abundantly. I've come to give you an, a, a, a kind, the kind of life where the deepest longings of your heart are met in me. Those longings for significance, I don't have to go around and look for that in my career, in the things that I do, and the things I'm recognized for. I'm already significant. I found that in you. God says, I can give you that. Those feelings of wanting to be loved, those feelings of wanting security in my life, those longings of your heart, I can feel those. It's the kind of life that's free of guilt and shame. I'm no longer motivated by the fear of guilt or shame because it's been removed. The kind of life where you have peace in your heart and your soul is at rest. No matter what happens around you, no matter the circumstances that you face, you can have a sense of peace in your heart and life. And it's the kind of life that's filled with joy that comes from an internal uh, prompting, not an external prompting. I don't have to have certain things happening in my life for me to be happy. I can have joy regardless. This is a quality of life that Paul is saying is attainable. It's not pie in the sky. It's not heaven when you die. It's attainable for your life today. But you have to sow into the spirit. You have to be at a place where you say yes to God. And God, I want you to lead me and not my own personal desires and whims. And as you lead me, 
And as I sow into those kinds of things, I look forward to reaping the kind of life that you have for me. But you have to understand something. Part of the reason we get into trouble is because the consequences of our actions are rarely immediate. <laughs> if they were, it would be a lot better for us. You know, I, when I was a kid, I was probably five or six years old. And my dad had been cutting the grass and I was standing there beside the mower and my dad says, Scott, don't touch that muffler, it's hot. This one, I touched it. It's the last muffler that I've intentionally touched all my life, okay? I've never touched another one. I don't have a desire to run around people's lawnmowers. You just get to cut, you know, I don't have that desire, right? Because the consequence was immediate. I felt the burn. And see, sometimes I think our problem is we take all of these steps and we don't experience immediate consequences. And so we think I've gotten away with it again. Not gonna be any consequences again. No one's held us accountable. We've not had any consequences. So we just live our life. And we think no matter what we do, we can just get out of it. And so... You've done something again and you're married, I can just get out of it the same way. If she doesn't know about it, but you know, if she does know about it, I can get out of it again. Until she says, that's enough. You know, I know I told my kids I'd be there and you know, they'll get over it. I, you know, they understand. I'll just tell them again, hey, I promise next time. And, and it always works until they say that's enough. Yeah, I know I screwed up again at the office. I just tell the boss, hey, listen, I know I screwed up. Nobody's perfect. I go to a church that says no people are perfect. Okay, I, nobody's perfect. I screwed up. I'll make it up to you. Not always works until time comes when he says, that's enough. That's enough. If the consequences were immediate, man, I think we'd learn a little faster. But in the same way, reaping the kind of life that God desires for us and that, that we desire as well, it's typically not immediate either. It takes a little while of sowing to eventually begin to reap. See, damaged relationships take a little while to repair. Broken trust takes a little while to repair. It's not immediate but we want it to be. And so I think Paul understanding this, and he may not have understood what it was like in 21st century, you know, we can, we can drive somewhere and get food in 30 seconds. We feel like we ought to get the kind of life that we want in at least two days, right? But Paul understanding that we have a tendency to want to see something happen, see something tangible in our life, see something moving us in that direction, the benefits of it, and if we don't, we might lose hope. And we might have a tendency to go back to sowing into our sinful nature and getting what we want out of life. And so Paul adds this last verse on there, and I think really in a way to give us hope. And he says in verse nine, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, in due time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. He's saying, listen, there's hope. Do not give up. You're sowing the right kinds of things. 
and I know you're not reaping the kind of life you want yet, but hang in there. You will reap a harvest if you don't grow weary and you don't give up. And along the way, I think the coolest part of this is that we have, not only do we eventually reap the kind of life that we've looked for and longed for, but our soul reaps the kind of rest and peace that it's longed for. We are satisfied fully in who he is and the kind of life he's given us. If we don't grow weary and we don't give up. So men, I mean, what are, you, what are you sowing into your life? What are you sowing into your marriage? Are you sowing the kinds of things that are pleasing to God? Are you sowing the kind of things that are pleasing to your own sinful nature? Are you loving your wife like Christ loved the church? Are you seeking to meet the needs of your spouse regardless of whether or not she ever meets yours? You say, Scott, how do you do that? Well, it's, it's difficult. I get that. But it's what leads to the kind of life that you're looking for. What are you sowing into your marriage? What are you sowing into the relationships of your life? What are you sowing into your morality? Into your things you think about? Into the places where you allow your mind and your eyes to go? The things you talk about? Are you sowing things of, of God's standards for your life? Or are you sowing things of your own standards? What are you sowing into your finances? Do you have a tendency to look at your finances the way God looks at them or do you look at them the way you want to look at them? See, God says, I'm the owner, you're the manager. I own everything and I've given this to you as a blessing to you for you to manage according to the way I as the owner want you to manage it. That's the standard in scripture. Is that the way you're handling your money and your possessions? Are you handling it in a way that says, I'm more interested in building my kingdom than God's kingdom? How are you handling your finances? How are you handling your family, your future? What are you sowing into your career? Are you sowing the things that are a part of God's spirit that'll reap an eternal life? Or are you sowing the kinds of things that are from your sinful nature? that will continue to erode and reap destruction. What are you sowing into your life? And just remember that whatever you're sowing, you will reap later and greater than whatever it is you're sowing. It's part of the harvest. You sow a little, you reap a lot. And it's always gonna be later. So be wise, be intentional and the things that you're sowing. Pay attention to the steps that you're taking. Be careful the steps that you're taking. Live wisely, not unwise, not carelessly, but wisely because the days are evil. Sow into the things that are part of God's spirit. And I believe, guys, 
that not only will you reap the kind of life that you truly long for, but it may just keep you off of a bar stool someday trying to recapture and rewrite history, the things that you've possibly lost. Let me pray for us, okay?